Last week we were in Kentucky, able to spend time with friends, able to spend time with family. And we've been talking about, in the last message that we had in Galatians 5, the title of the message was Internal Rivalry. And we talked about different rivalries. Well, it so happened that a week ago Saturday, UK, all right, University of Kentucky, played Louisville. And you don't get much of a stronger rivalry than the red versus blue. And it just so happens that Kentucky, they beat Louisville. And they enjoyed that very much. So the next morning when we went to church, there were people who were proudly wearing blue. And then there were those wearing shades of red who were very not, they just weren't happy. It just was not a good day. But they still wore red. They didn't change. They didn't jump ship. They just admitted, okay, we lost yesterday, but I still don't like your team. All right. And it's kind of fun as people would pick on each other and poke at each other in the setting of the church where this is a long rivalry and it's not going away anytime soon. Today, we move into the realm where Paul begins to lay out for the Galatian churches, what is the difference between, there's a drastic difference between the works of the flesh and the work of the spirit. And if we sum it all up, it's what the title of the message is. It's really self, selfishness, the flesh versus the spirit of God. As we look at this this morning, we're going to see this contrast. Paul wrote of it to the Philippians. And what I want you to do is I want you to read along with me. All right, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Okay, go ahead and read this out loud. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Where were you guys? Oh, you can't read it. Let's, let's change the contrast a little bit. Let, maybe this helps, all right? Should we try this again? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How's it, how are you seeing it now? A little better? You hate that doctor's visit, don't you? I hate the doctor's visit. All right, let's try another a shade of difference. A little more contrast. Is this coming into clear clarity now? Read it with me. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the phrase I really want us to get. We shine as lights. There's a contrast. All right, one more adjustment here that might make a significant. Let's go one more screen, all right? It completely, there it is. You want to try it one more time? It's a big difference now, right? You see the contrast? The first screen, there was no contrast. There was no difference. The shades were almost the same. And you were saying like, what? how are we supposed to read this? I don't have this memorized. What are you doing, right? One more time. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul's emphasis to the, to the Philippian believers is the same as to the Galatian believers is that if there's going to be a shining of the light, then you have to stand out. 
There must be a difference. You have to be able to distinguish between those are Christians and those individuals are not Christians. And the Christians don't just pack everything up and move into the hills and isolate ourselves from everyone else. We're to shine the light of the gospel. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine. Why? That a man will see your good works and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. And so we're to let our lights shine. We're to stand out. We're not running from this generation. We're not better than this generation. We're just different. And beloved, there ought to be a contrast. And 2,000 years ago, in the Galatian churches, there was a strong rivalry going on. That of the genuine believers and those Judaizers that were coming in saying, well, Jesus is nice, but have you been circumcised? Have you done this? Have you had this religious thing? What about the feast? What about pork? What about all, the, all of the other deluge they were bringing of a, a works-based, self-righteous system of religion that doesn't save? And it would be even tempting for genuine believers to hit the other ditch, and that is to become mean and be angry and be fighting back and it just be a brawl in the church. And in comes a non-believer and they're like, this, this isn't much different than Friday night at the local hangout when everybody's filled with alcohol and this is, you know, where it goes. So Paul is warning. This is a stark warning. The war that started out in heaven, Lucifer, Satan saying, I want to receive worship. How does, why does God get all the worship? That long war that started in heaven was thrown out of heaven, but it's been played out here on earth since Genesis 3 in the garden. It's been a long war. And this war comes down into every relationship that you and I have, and it plays out even in the church. And here's the question, and here's this uh, big idea that I want to give to us. When we engage in conflict in our relationships in the church, do we bring hell up or do we bring heaven down? Do we function according to the flesh or do we function empowered by and yielded to the spirit of the living God? Because if the spirit of God is not here, then no miracles happen. What is a miracle that we just sang about? That someone comes in not knowing Christ and they confess Christ as Lord. That someone comes in rebellious and something changes in their heart and they leave submitted to the one who loves them and died for them, Jesus. That requires a miracle. But if people are picking one another off and all that we see in the works of the flesh, those kinds of things don't happen. Lives aren't truly changed when we live for the kingdom of me. What I want. We're part of a kingdom. Whose kingdom are you part of this morning? So Galatians chapter 5. We're in this uh, closing section of this chapter. And Paul says, and I'm just going to start with verse 16 to bring us this internal rivalry that we spoke about a few weeks ago, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. They're obvious. And then he lists the works of the flesh. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, those who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, this is your word. We need your help by your spirit to understand your word and to apply your word to our lives. May we walk by the spirit. May we live by the spirit. May we keep in step with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, the battles that play out in our lives, in all of our relationships, we'll either lose those battles in the power of the flesh, or we will win and we will have victory in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one or the other. The key for our victory is depending wholly upon God and obeying his word. So, if we're going to stand, right? This is the title. This is the proposition, all right? Here, this is what I'm laying out. What does Pastor Wise want from me this morning? What does Pastor Wise want from us, from this church where he shepherds? And, and here's what you have to say. Is this what God wants? Or is this just something like he thought up in his office with nothing better to do? Is this what God wants for us? And you have to answer that. If this is what God wants for us to stand firmly in grace, then I believe from this text we're going to see, and today we're going to look at the first part, and next Sunday, God willing, we'll come back and we'll see the fruit of the Spirit, but today we're going to focus on the works of the flesh. Then I believe that we respond. We have a right response. So if we're going to stand firmly in grace as a church, then together, this isn't just like, go get them, pastor, or pastors, or elders, or, you know, longtime members. This is everybody in the family. The number one will expose the works of the flesh. This is what Paul is doing. This is what a good doctor does. My stepdad is going this week for an MRI dealing with cancer. Okay? You, don't, you want the doctor to find anything that is there. You want the doctor to not just lie to you. You want the doctor to not just say, oh, everything looks good, if it's not good. You have to find, identify, understand, know what the problem is, and how then can we treat this problem? How can we treat this disease? So Paul understands this problem that's unfolding in the Galatian churches, but the believers and the, those there, they don't understand. And if they don't understand, they won't rise up together and do what Paul is instructing them to do. He's already been there and done that. They're not doing what he had left them to do by the power of the Spirit. 
So he's saying, I'm going to expose the works of the flesh. We're not going to excuse the works of the flesh. Well, you know, it is, you know, 2020 now. Have you seen the culture, Pastor? You know, this whole tidal wave. And after all, the Methodist church, you know, they've opened up and they've accepted to a certain degree and they're going to separate. And a whole host of people say homosexuality is okay. So come on, get with the times, you out-of-date person. Now, we don't excuse the works of the flesh. We don't endorse the works of the flesh. Paul, in love, the true love of God, is saying there's a real problem and I'm going to expose the works of the flesh. Because anybody who says, actually, I like the works of the flesh, I live for the works of the flesh, they have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. So in love, Paul is saying, hey, there's danger. And here's the way out. Here's the answer. Expose the works of the flesh. He gives a definite warning here. These works of the flesh are evident is the word there. They're obvious. They're clear. Anybody with an ounce of discernment can say, I can see how these things in this list, they have nothing to do with Jesus. They have nothing to do with God. And left unchecked, they destroy people's lives every day, everywhere. Doesn't matter what country you're in. Some of them are works of religion. Some of them are works of rebellion. And keep that in mind, because often religious people can look down their nose and say, look at those sinners, those sinners, sinners. Oh, look at how horrible they are. And Paul is saying, if you're trusting in your religion and your resume religiously, or you're trusting in your rebellion and you're both calling him, there's truth for you. We need to hear it. Whose side are you on? That's the question. Are you devoted to serving King you, yourself? Or are you devoted to serving others? Our lives are on one side or the other, beloved. It's either Jesus is King and Lord of my life, or I am. King me. Recognize clearly the sins of selfishness. And this is what Paul is doing. He just lays it out. This is a vice list. Paul does this often in his letters. It's not an all-inclusive list. In other words, if like, you know, ah, ha, ha, he didn't say stealing. That's good. You know, I can keep stowing away money from where I work. No big deal because it's not on the list. This isn't an all-inclusive list. It actually is when he says all the things like this. And we're going to come to that. We can break these sins of selfishness down into four categories to help us get our mind around because some of these words overlap. Some of them share in similarities, but there's nuances that Paul is highlighting. The first area of sins of selfishness, okay, and that's really the heart of all sin. What do I want to do? What do I think? What's best for me? Well, I don't care about you. You'll manipulate people around you to get them to do what you want to do, and even God. And if he doesn't do what I want to do, if he doesn't think what I want him to think, then I'll find someone else to worship and find someone else to serve. So remember, Paul is writing to a church. He's writing in the context. These churches are messed up. So he's dealing specifically. So this list is for the Galatian churches, and for 2,000 years has been a benefit to all churches. Because we have struggles just like they did, right? Some of these issues on this list are, are my struggles and your struggles. We struggle in these things. 
Even if you belong to God, you've been born again. It doesn't mean that you don't wrestle and struggle with these things anymore and these sins and selfishness. So, you know, I think I have that conquered. I'll talk to your wife or your husband afterwards. Probably going to find out differently, right? Mm -hmm. All right. First sin area, sexual immorality. All right, the Greek word porneia. Paul is here addressing all sex that happens outside of the bonds of biblically defined marriage. One man, one woman, all the way back to the garden. And Jesus reaffirmed it in Matthew 19. It's clear. In order to have children, you have to have a man. You have to have a woman. It's the way God designed it. One man, one woman for life is God's plan. So this includes promiscuity. This is unmarried people engaging in sexual activity. Unmarried people saying, you know, we're going to try this thing out. We're going to live together. We're not going to get married. We're going to live together and we'll define marriage our own way. This is a work of the flesh because there's two people who are coming up on their own terms. They are unwilling to be patient. They're unwilling to yield everything to the other person. Instead, they will live in relationship on their terms, not defined by God. It's selfish. It distorts the picture of Christ's love for his bride. And so it is extremely destructive to all relationships. First Thessalonians 4 deals with abstain from fornication. You want to know what the will of God is? Live in purity. Uh, it's been described this way, and I've said this before. A fire in a house, in a fireplace, it's all right. A fire not in the fireplace in the house, not all right. Sexuality inside of marriage, it's what it warms the house. Outside of, burns the house down. So it includes promiscuity. This includes adultery. That is unfaithfulness of marriage partners. You say, well, I've never been unfaithful to my wife. And Jesus said, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. So this is steep. Pornography. It's a destructive vice can hold a strong grip on men and women. Typically, it's men. We're commanded, just as Paul commanded Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Like Joseph, we have to, beloved, learn to run. We have to run to the light. We have to run. You see, all sin... How many of you, you like to fish? Or you, you love to fish, okay? The whole idea of fishing is bait, right? What do the fish want to bite? If you're hunting, it's illegal to bait, all right? You're not supposed to bait. But you wanna, you're not going to bait with something that the animal has no interest in. Here's Dr. Peppers, you know? What are you trying to, what are you trying to get? A person? So Satan knows our flesh and what we fall for. But here's the deal. Every time you have a trap, a hook, that bait sits on that hook. So it is with sin. 
Hebrews 13, verse four, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So Paul warns them, church, flee from sexual immorality. Then he talks about impurity. Ekatharsia is the word. It refers to unnatural sexual practices and relationships. Okay, so sexual immorality, it generally encompasses everybody like singles, married people, normal temptations. When he adds this word in, he says, and then there's perversions of sex. Then there's perversions of marriage. There's homosexuality, there's bestiality, there's pedophilia. There's all of these abuses and rape. That is forbidden. And anyone with two sense to rub together of discernment would say, yeah, I don't think a church should be known for that. You ask non-believers and they say, yeah, I don't think that people of a, the cloth should be molesting children. Paul says, absolutely not. This is obvious. This doesn't even need much expounding. This should never be, and sadly, too much. He moves on to the word sensuality. And this word refers to a lifestyle that's characterized by a lack of self-control. This can include food, pleasure, and sex. Just no restraint. Instead of someone being ashamed or trying to hide their perversion or their immorality, how about this idea? Let's just have a parade. And let's go out publicly with all types of people and let's just color it up and just boast loudly that we're not ashamed of our sin anymore. You think uh, 2,000 years ago, the word of God is out of date now? Is this not describing where we live? Is this not describing what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They're serving the created, the creature instead of the creator. This is our culture. Beloved, sexual immorality hurts everyone involved. So it's not loving to say, well, you feel this way or you think this way, okay, you know, do what you want to do. Not if you love the person. The second area that Paul delves into are religious sins. Paul gives two specific terms here, okay? Idolatry and sorcery, okay? We'll, we'll pull these two up. These two terms, idolatry, that is substituting lesser things in the place of the living God. So yes, this would inclu include occult and pagan religious practices, but this also includes... Various practices that have made their way into Christendom that contradict Scripture. Praying to saints. Raising up statues. Worshiping, praying to Mary. Going through certain religious rites and rituals. Oh, you have to be baptized. And making and elevating that to gospel level. 
dietary restrictions, all of these are substitutes for God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's idolatry. And when you get to sorcery, pharmakia is the Greek word, and we get pharmacology, we get our pharmacist that has to do with drugs. This is, a, this is an induced, so you have the working of God by his spirit, and then you have something conjured up, induced through whatever it might be. This is faking the work of the spirit through spells, horoscopes, all types of superstitions. The child of God must be able to say that, that is not appropriate. That doesn't come down from heaven. That's coming from somewhere else. Well, where is the source? You have to do the work. You have to think, what's the source of what I'm seeing as great? What's the hook? You're sensible people. You have to work these things out. David Platt and Tony Merida say this, sorcery involves the practice of trying to manipulate circumstances or dark powers to bring about a desired goal rather than submitting to and trusting in God alone. So beloved, listen. Whenever we look to someone or something else, something other than God to be for me, give me, fulfill me, complete me, whether that be a child, whether that be a relationship, whether that be a new job, a new place to live, whatever it is, a vacation, and then I will be at peace. And then I will, as soon as I get all my bills paid, and soon as I, whatever it may be, as soon as we look to something or someone else to give us what only God can give us, this is where we are. These are religious selfish sins. Then Paul moves into the social sins. And here is where he really spends his time. Okay, so a religious person like, you know, let's spend some more time on the immoral people and let's spend more time on the other people. And Paul says, actually, this is where I'm going here. This is going to get the lion's share of his treatment. Eight actions and attitudes that adversely affect our relationships and have the absolute power to destroy unity in a family, in a marriage, and in a church. So he lists these off. These are all part of this long war. Enmity. Ekthra is the Greek word. It's hostility toward others. It's an adversarial attitude. It's coming from the root of all conflict. There's enmity that before you know Christ, there's enmity between you and God. So why would there be enmity in the church when we've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ and that we've been given peace with God? Shouldn't that play out in peacefulness in our relationships then? And if it doesn't, James, the half-brother of Jesus says, you say you believe in God, you do well, the demons believe and they shudder, they tremble. Faith without works is dead. I have peace with God, I hate you. I have peace with God and I won't forgive you. And I have peace with God and I, you know what you did to me and you offended me and I won't let it go and I won't talk to you and I'll surround with only the people that I like, this is enmity. This is bringing hell up into your relationships. Strife, heiress, to have contentious temper. It's looking to pick fights. It's looking to get into arguments. This is the culture of hell, beloved. Hell knows nothing about forgiveness, nothing about peace. 
So for the person who's just always looking to introduce conflict, strife, they can always find the fly in the ointment. They can always find what's wrong with the whatever the, the thing, but you, well, that was great. You did all that, but you, they're always introducing strife. They're looking to pick a fight, pick an argument. Jealousy. Zelos is the Greek word. It's the zeal. You get the, there's a zealousness and an energy that comes from a hungry ego. They're zealous for me. A jealous person wants to have what God has given to somebody else. They struggle at being content and thankful to God and in no way can they rejoice when others are blessed, promoted, or advanced. Well, how come they got to whatever, fill in the blank? I should have been the one. How come they didn't notice me? You know, whatever, you can just fill in the blank. Jealousy. Number four, fits of anger. If you're hearing like, yeah, this list kind of makes me mad. We just found your, there you go, there's yours. All right, just check that, circle it. Outbursts of anger refers to the person who maintains an uncontrolled temper. You know, maybe, maybe you were raised with this father. I uh, wonder how dad's day at work was. He's coming home. We're going to find out. Oh boy, get out of here, right? Not good. I wonder how moms don't can blow up at any moment, just wah, and just go from zero to 100. It's fits of anger. There is a time for righteous anger. But if we're always losing our temper and quickly raised and our, our voice is raised and fits of anger. This behavior is not to be excused as merely, well, that's my personality. You know, that's just how I am. Well, that's just how he is. That's just how she is. That's how they were raised. So what? Does the Spirit of God dwell in you or not? It doesn't mean that you don't wrestle with this and I don't wrestle with this. It means are we okay with not wrestling with it? And we just excuse it? We didn't endorse it? We get mad at somebody if they point it out to us? And Paul would say to the Galatians, Was I, well, what happened? You were going to give me your eyes and now you're my, I'm your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? How did this happen? Who have you been listening to? Fits of anger. Somebody is threatening my kingdom, my schedule, my plan, what I want to do. Oh, this gets us where we live, right? I, I had my day all planned out yesterday. I did it to myself. I was told somebody, we washed, we gave the dogs a bath the other night. Abby was over and Lola, dogs stunk. All right, time to give them a bath. Nobody's open on Christmas, the holidays. So we go down to the mop sink and what did I do? The dumbest thing I ever do. Write this down if you forget everything else. Don't take the drain hose for your washing machine out of your mop sink to do anything. I took the drain hose out and I'm like, this is a bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. I shouldn't be doing this, but we need the space for the dogs in the little wash tub. And we went on and dried them and you know, did everything. They smell great, wonderful. And then I went into the basement yesterday afternoon. What flooded our basement? Yeah, me. Ginger ran a load, left, and it just filled the basement. Okay? That was my own doing. Ginger will call me on that, like, yeah, it's because you messed up. That's why you're not getting so upset. If I would have done that, right? Like, ah, she knows me too well. 
Someone's threatening my plan, my schedule, my agenda. That's not what I was going to do. How do we respond? I wasn't singing a song. I was frustrated. My phone wasn't working. Ginger's calling me. It's just a mess. But not to the point of anger. I was seriously frustrated. Rivalries. Erythia. This is the idea of electioneering. Going from house to house, vote for me, vote for me, vote for me, get on my side. This is, where, where's Paul writing? Churches. Hey, get on my side. Well, whatever the issue may be. And, and electioneering, politicking, getting people to your side, they bring contentions, partisanship, fractures to relationships wherever they go. Beloved, this is bringing hell up into the church, into your relationships. Number six in this part of the list is dissensions. Dikostasia is the Greek word, divisions. Paul warned already that believers are to not bite and devour one another. The spirit of God brings unity, but the flesh brings division. So what characterizes your relationships? Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. That's the word. They create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Don't excuse them. Don't embrace them. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Do you hear what Paul just said? For someone who causes division in a church, for other people to, well, but they're okay. They're not that bad. You're naive. Don't be naive. We don't respond in hatred. Don't be naive. If someone's causing division, and everywhere they go, there's ending relationships and broken relationships and just disappearing in the night, gaining people to their side through whatever means they choose to use. Avoid them. Number seven is divisions. A word picture here that is that of storming a city to take it captive. Heresius is the word. We get the word heresy. They're bringing false teaching. They're bringing a party spirit. It's, it's like what he wrote to the Corinthians. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. And the really spiritual group in Corinth, we are of Jesus. He's like, we're all on the same team, you knuckleheads. Or are we? It's like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Their own party, building their own party. They hated each other. Creates divisions where there ought to be oneness and closeness. This is, closeness. This has led to denominations. This is splits within denominations. Departing from the teaching of the word. 
And what did Jesus say? If the house is divided, it cannot stand. This is also another part of this, and that's when somebody has this disposition that we alone are right. And we use, typically those who hold to a King James only, we alone are right. And from that posture stems everything else. We're using the right translation. We're using the right color hymnal. We're meeting at the right time in the right place. We alone are right. Everybody else is wrong. And if somebody teaches or preaches or says something that I disagree with, then they're not even saved, in my opinion. Danger, danger, warning, warning. This is what we're talking about, this type of person. Then there's envy, similar to jealousy. Phanos is the Greek word. It's an envious person. They're not able to rejoice when God blesses other people, but this is secret. No, one's, no one will be proud of being envious. Envy sits in here in all of us. Oh, they got a new car? But we don't usually say it. It's just what we think. It's attitude. It's inside. Secretly, envy rejoices when your enemy falls or when they mess up. When someone even that you look up to, that you admire, and they stumble and you're like, <laughs> they're human too where you're not able to rejoice with others when they are promoted and they are successful, you didn't get that promotion. And God isn't given to me what he gave to them. So envy and jealousy are very similar. Covetousness is the sin that's closely associated with envy. Then he moves into the last area, and it's the sins of indulgence. And here we find unrestrained appetites. The first is drunkenness. The second under this list is orgies, drinking, wild drinking parties, okay? Drunkenness, methe, wherever drunkenness is seen in scripture, bad things are found. Look at the Noah, he's drunk, bad things happen in his family. Lot was drunk, and from this we have an incestual relationship, right? So drunkenness is always forbidden in the Bible, and bad things are usually surrounding drunkenness. Now, Scripture forbids the excess. It's much easier, and I've, I've had to wrestle through this, it's much easier to say, no one should ever drink all the time. Well, then you really have a problem when Jesus made wine at the wedding, and that's his first miracle. Well, yeah, but what about, and then if that's on the road, and, and, and so legalism says, here's what we'll do. We'll make our own rules, and this is what the rule is, and everybody will be safe inside of your rules, but that's not safe. So this takes work. And with all of these areas come wisdom, discernment, and then you need the spirit of the Lord. You need the spirit of the Lord to say, is this appropriate in this place? Will alcohol offend someone if I want whatever it may be? So you need the spirit of God, not your pastor giving you the rules. I've had to come to this understanding. Drunkenness is always forbidden. Listen, we went to the Lions game back when they played at Silverdome. My cousin got tickets, Thanksgiving game. They played the Packers. They lost. The Packers won, of course. Again, that happened last week. 
And it made me think of that game because we were sitting up there. Ginger was with me, family. We were in this wild section. People are, there's one lady drunk and she just like rolled down over people like five rows and got up in the rows and walked out, fell down in the concrete area, went out, comes back with another beer, you know? And I'm like, whoa. Then there was a Packer fan sitting close to us. He was right across the aisle, one down. You know how they're pitched like this. And he was sitting there and drinking the whole game, drinking the whole game, drinking the whole game. And the Packers won. And so he was sitting there as people are exiting slowly out of the stands and the game is over. All the Lions fans are sad. And here's this Packers fan and he's so drunk. He can't even keep his eyes on the focus of the people walking by. And he's still just, you know, mouthing off to him like, and his eyes, I'm watching him. He can't even focus on people walking down the stairs because he's so drunk. Drunkenness is always forbidden. Unrestrained appetites lead to all types of selfish sins. And when he gets into comas, it's orgies. But Paul here, he's not referring to uh, sexual orgies, but he is to wild drinking parties. And you say, well, pastor, what would this be like? Mardi Gras. (laughs) Anytime a team wins a championship, When a college campus gets to, it's not even just Friday night and Saturday night anymore. It's in people's homes where sometimes they leave and they provide it all. And before the night is over, there's kids passed out everywhere. This past year was a tragic year for a family that grew up at Ginger's home church. The kid was a solid kid, loved the Lord. One night went to a drinking party. And they funneled vodka into him and he got alcohol poisoning. His mom woke up the next morning and his friends had dropped him on the front of the houseboat where she would go and they would stay and he was dead. One night. This is what Paul is talking about. And nobody in their right mind would say, it's okay, we're, we're Christians, we can do these things. Paul is saying these are works of the flesh. A work of the flesh is being addicted to pleasure-creating substances and behaviors. And like I said before, and if you say, well, you know, my my thing isn't there, you know, I I don't have any trouble in these areas, then Paul just puts this blanket catch-all phrase here, and he says, and things like these. And when James writes in James 1, 12 to 15, he he uses graphic terminology. He says that when sin... It goes all the way to giving birth, right? Sin brings forth and it brings forth and he uses the language of a stillborn baby. All of the hope, all of the struggle, the the sickness, the sorrow, the struggle that a mom goes through to get all the way to the point of all this hope, all this desire, all this expectation of, of this sexual sin and I shouldn't be doing it, but I have all this in mind, religious sins and social sins, and this is what I'm gonna get. And when they do this and they owe me and all these things, and when it finally comes to birthing, all you have is death. That's a graphic picture of all sin and all the temptation for you and for me. And it's, this is the works of the flesh. And we're always held or always potential. We can think that it'll be okay. And it's not that bad. And, and it'll never happen again. And all of these things. But when it gives birth, it gives birth to death. The wages of sin is death. So how do we respond then? 
That's what we want to know. Well, how are we going to, we're going to recognize these. We're going to identify these. Then how do we respond humbly in repentance? Beloved, understand the judgment that's coming upon those who do such things. That's what Paul says. And that is not just that we don't struggle with these. these are, this is somebody who practices this lifestyle. Their lifestyle is characterized by this. They're not fighting anymore. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So first of all, beloved, this is for all of us. We have to get personal with this. If we're going to live as those who are the confessing ones, if we're going to live in a state of repentance, then first I must heed the warning myself. That's where it always begins. A religious person says, let's start pointing out everybody else's, but somebody who is gospel-oriented, grace-based, spirit-filled says, where are these areas in me? Where do I see these things operating in my life? This is similar to what Jesus told the Nicodemus in John 3, 3, this religious teacher of the Jews. Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. So I must heed the warning myself. Those who live for self and their own kingdom, Paul is saying they have no part in God's eternal kingdom. That puts us all on one side or the other. Listen to what Tim Keller says. I'm going to read this quote. Uh, this, is, this list, okay, this, this list, this vice list that we've been looking at shows us that God does not make the kind of distinctions that we commonly do. Seeing sex and drink is more sinful than, than jealousy and ambition. It undermines the tendency of naturally non-religious people to label the flaws of someone else's religious sarks, that's flesh, as worse. Are you religious people? And of religious people to see the works of a non-religious sarks, flesh, person, as beyond the pale. All right, this is the two sides. Religious people looking down, non-religious people. Non-religious people, they're, they're looking down at religious people. We are much better. This is... This is it. I could say I am much better at noticing the works of someone else's sinful nature than I am at battling my own. Can you say that about you? You can find the faults in your spouse like that. But when you start dealing with your own faults, you can find faults with other people and what they did and what they, years ago, they, this, that, but, but do you see it in you? It's natural to find the faults in everybody else. It's natural to boast of, I'm so great and I'm awesome and I'm good this and I'm that. Let's make it all about me. It's spiritual to say, it isn't all about me. The greatest thing about me is Jesus. That's the only good thing about me is Jesus and I'm a child and I've been set free by his spirit. And I, in this posture, I can look on others and not condemn them because I'm not their judge. God is. And he was merciful and he was gracious to me. And I want him to be merciful and gracious to others. So let's think about this. If I'm going to heed the warning myself, then let's ask some questions that are important. You can ask these of yourselves. And as we get together in our small groups, these are the questions we're going to be saying. What do I see in my life? What are these works of this list? You know, sexual sins, religious sins, social sins, sins of indulgence. What do I see in my life? Or do I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Am I seeing growth? My desires are changing. Another question, have I personally confessed my sin to God? 
Have I trusted in Jesus as my savior? Because then I'm pleading the blood. I belong to Jesus. I'm clothed in his righteousness and he will finish in me what he started. Another awesome question is this, am I connected in community? How do I deal with these sins is not in isolation and it's not alone where I can tell myself, I'm, I'm great. I'm much better than I was last year. and I'm doing really well. That's because nobody's around you to mess with you or cut in front of you in traffic and nobody's riding with you to hear you or whatever it may be. Am I connected in community where I can grow personally and God can use me to help others grow because that's where we're designed to live. So that's where it begins first with me. But then it moves somewhere. Then. So Paul dealt with himself. Then he warned the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians, right? But he started with himself always. Then I will urge others to heed the warning. Can't make them heed the warning. You can't yell at them enough. You can't out, you know, whatever. It's urging, it's calling them, it's loving them to repentance. To turn from the works of the flesh, to trust in Christ alone. So here we got to think about our attitude. What is my attitude toward other people who struggle in areas that aren't my struggle? Huh. Sexual deviance, those... Ugh. And we can just talk about people or idolatry and what are they doing and that, whatever it may be. And it just comes off so unloving and so hateful. But we're not even addressing our own. So if we're going to reach out to others, then we, we better let the Holy Spirit govern over our attitude. And not only just our attitude, but then our actions. What must I do to urge others toward repentance and faith in Jesus when God bears fruit in and through us by his spirit, then lives are changed forever. And this is because we're no longer living for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. So if we're going to grow in actions that promote conflict revolution, it's because we're not living for ourselves anymore. And I can just ask each of us this question this morning. Who are you living for? Who's king in your life? Who are you aiming to please? Others? Self? Or God. And if I'm living to please God, then I will be pleasing in a right way to others, even though we may not always agree. I want to close with this, all right? If we're first evaluating ourselves, then we bring this gospel, just as Paul did, this message that confronts. I want to give to us what Scott McKnight clarifies. How do we walk through relational conflict? Okay, so no doubt, in relationships, whatever the relationship is, it's gonna, there's going to be times of conflict. So here's four steps that McKnight gives as he was talking about this passage in Galatians. How do we resolve conflict? What's the biblical way to resolve conflict? Where are the handles for a message like this, the application? Number one, clarify the issues. What is the conflict? What is the problem? Somebody withdraws from church. They withdraw from fellowship. They stop meeting together in a small group. Why? We don't know. So we have to clarify the issues. Hey, what's going on? Secondly, stop and remember the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. Affirm that the Spirit of God is the chief leader in our lives. 
Okay? What happened in your, in your heart, in your love, in your values? What changed? Where are you now? What happened to the friendships that you had? Why? Why is this happening? And know that the Spirit of God is all sufficient. The Spirit of God knows all things in our lives, and He knows exactly what we need, and He works miracles. He changes lives. The third step is to stop and examine what does the Scripture say? What does the Bible say? Okay, so what's the issue? When there's conflict and you have two people and they're turning away or you have two people and one person walks away into disobedience, into rebellion, into any of these sins and they embrace a sinful lifestyle, work of the flesh, then a church comes around that person and says, what's what's the issue? Why'd you walk away? We believe in the Holy Spirit What does the Bible say about this issue? Now that we understand the issue, it's not that we're just thinking about what might be your issue. You have stated what your issue is. Now let's look into the word of God. What does the Bible say? How do we deal with this issue? This is not about conformity. This isn't about everybody has to do everything the same, look the same, dress the same, drive the same vehicle, and all of that. This is not conformity. That's a cult. This is about unity and that you're different than I am and I'm different than you are. And and God gives grace for us to be able to get along and to work it out and to not hold other people to be God for me. Do everything I want you to do. Never leave me, never fail me, never forsake me. That's God. What does the Bible say? And the last one is, then follow Like, trust the leadership that God has given into your life. Trust them. Here's the issue. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Word of God says. And God has given trustworthy people in our lives that we can counsel with according to the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, to resolve the issue. And when Christians do not resolve issues in marriage, in work environments, in the church, the non-believers say, like you tried to read the verse at the beginning of this message. It just gets frustrating. And it wouldn't have helped me, it wouldn't have helped you one bit if I would have just yelled at you. If I would have shamed you. What, are you not good readers? You know, what? I can't see. So you're just going to get mad at people that are sexually immoral and living in religious sins? Can they see a difference in you and in me? Or are we the blind leading the blind too often? Now see, a child of God takes this warning from Paul and they say, man, that hurts. That hit me right here. That's a good fruit that you actually care because you want to be one bearing the fruit of the spirit which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. You don't have to make a law against those. Those are welcomed. Are we a people who are welcoming the spirit of God or are we walking according to the flesh? What's your next step? I'm encouraging you to do something. Share with someone today. Hey, here's my next step.
this is the so what of the message for me. This is what needs to change. Maybe it starts by stopping by and talking to Dave and Deanie and saying, when does your group meet? Or maybe, will you pray with me? Whatever it might be, we're running from the works of the flesh. Flee youthful, youthful lust and let's draw near to the Spirit of God.